Welcome to Healthy and Happy, a program sponsored by the Easter Maker Conference of Seventh-day Adventists and aired right here on NCUFM. It is your education and wellness station, NCU 91.1, 91.3, and of course 91.5, only on your FM dial. We have an interesting and intriguing program lined up for you this week, so you can't afford to miss it. Please stay tuned. I'm your host, Adis Jonas Murphy. Thank you so very much for keeping it locked right here on NCUFM. It is your education and wellness station. And yes, it is Saturday evening, just a little bit after 6.30, yes, where we get to delve into our wonderful health program called Healthy and Happy, sponsored by the East Jamaica Conference of Seventh-day Adventists. So I did say to you earlier that we have an interesting program lined up for you. We just completed a series recently, and we're delving into... Should I say female reproductive issues? So you definitely want to keep it locked right here on Healthy and Happy. I'm so pleased to welcome back to studio a friend of mine, Dr. Nastasia Tate. You know that name well. Yes, yes, yes. OBGYN. Dr. Tate, welcome to Healthy and Happy. How are you doing? I am good. I'm good. I'm just happy to be here and to share this medium, education and empowering our women. Wonderful. Thank you so very much for always making yourself available, Dr. Tate. We know how busy it gets from time to time, so we never, ever take these moments for granted. Now, we are going to be focusing on the female reproductive system. Now, there is a particular issue that we're delving into today. The topic, when I came across it, I said, boy, we have to deal with this one. It's called cervical dysplasia. Not many persons, perhaps have heard of this particular condition, cervical dysplasia. So, Doc, what do you have to tell us about it? Firstly, please define it. Okay, so the medical term that speaks to abnormal cells. So, you know what the cells are in any organ, whether it's squamous or columnar, they have a specific shape. Um, the center or the eye of the cell is located somewhere specific. So, when, you, when we talk about dysplasia or this classic changes, we're talking about abnormalities of the cells. So how the shape changes, how the eye of the cell changes. Mm -hmm. So cervical dysplasia then refers to abnormal cells of the cervix. Abnormal cells that develop over a period of time or are individuals born with these abnormalities? Over a period of time. Are these so inherited? There's not a genetic predisposition. Right, no. So there's no genetic predisposition. Mm -hmm. It's something that would have happened over a period of time due to, in this case, infection with HPV, human papilloma virus. Mm, interesting. Before we go any further into it, Doc, I, I want you to just uh, speak to, because we have a wide audience listening in right now, and we take it for granted. I'm taking it for granted that persons know what the cervix is. <laughs> so could right. you just... Um, Very good. Yes, go ahead and provide that kind of um, context so the cervix is actually the, ne the neck of the womb so when you think about female reproductive system mm -hmm. if you think about uh, say a pear upside down you know how the, the end of the pear 
um, is a little bit narrow mm-hmm. in comparison to where the seed is, which is a little bit bulky. So if you just turn that pair upside down, where the bulky part is at the top and the neck is at the bottom, mm-hmm. then the neck of the uterus is what we call the cervix. And then the bulky part is what you call the body of the uterus. So, so that's where your cervix is located. Um, you can easily, a doctor can easily see the outside of the cervix on a vaginal exam when they pass a speculum mm-hmm. and look at the cervix. So that's the area that we are in, we're going to be discussing today. Okay, wonderful. Thanks so much for that. So we have looked at what cervical dysplasia is, but is it also a precancerous condition? I mean, you spoke about the abnormality of the cells, but in terms of the kinds of abnormality um, or abnormalities that exist, is it is it precancerous and what is the risk to developing cancer? Right. So it definitely is precancerous. So, so if you think about it on a spectrum, you at one end, you have normal cells. Mm-hmm. At the other end, you have cancerous cells. So as the, cha- as the cells of the cervix changes in terms of the shape and the constituency and how organized they are in terms of layout, mm-hmm. it moves from different stages of precancerous cells mm. that ultimately will lead to survival cancer if not detected, mm. not diagnosed, or not treated. All right. Let's jump into the causes. What is it? You, you did mention HPV, but delve into the whole context of what causes it. So HPV, or human papillomavirus, is a STI. So it's a sexually transmitted infection. And in fact, it is one of the most common STI. Mm-hmm. Now, once it is that you are sexually active, you are likely to get HPV at some point in time in your life. For over 70% of persons who have, um, who are having sex or who have had sex will get HPV. Now, the good thing is it's a virus. The body usually clears it. Mm-hmm. And most times it's asymptomatic, meaning you have no idea that you even had it. <laughs> That's about However, uh-huh. <laughs> however, if it gets into the cells of the cervix, then it can cause changes that are precancerous that ultimately will lead to survival cancer. Now, between infection and getting survival cancer on average is in excess of 10 years. So something that is very slow going mm-hmm. and we have a wide area or you know, a couple of years well where we can, one, identify and treat and hence prevent cervical cancer. Mm-hmm. So you talk about preventative measures. I know I don't want to jump the interview, but since you yes. went there, since you went there, <laughs> how is it that this thing is diagnosed? So, of course, we're talking this particular medical condition. We have to look at causes. We have to look at risk factors and also diagnosis. How does right. one diagnose cervical dysplasia? So if we're talking about precancerous um, changes, then this is diagnosed on a pap smear. So when you come in for your yearly pap smear and, you know, we get the, a sample of the cells and we send it off to the lab, the lab results will come back and tell us the cells are normal mm-hmm. or it will tell us that there is infection, there are changes to the cells, evidence of HPV infections, and it will also tell you what level or what grade of infection. So that's how the diagnosis is made for precancerous um, disease, which is a cervical dysplasia. If it is that you're talking about cervical cancer, mm-hmm. then you can have a high index of suspicion if it is that you examine a patient and there's like a mass on the cervix. Mm-hmm. But again, you still need to do a biopsy. So you take a bite off, send it to the lab, and again, it will tell you that this is cervical cancer. 
All right. You made mention of yearly pap smears. I am wondering for those ladies who are listening in and they're saying, okay, um, you know, I probably will be getting my pap smear next month or perhaps even next year or, you know, two years from now, because I don't necessarily have to do this thing quite frequently. Could you educate us on the importance of one, not only doing the pap smear, but two, the frequency with which it should be done and starting ages? So our local guidelines advocate or recommend for us to have a yearly pap smear. And we start with screening at age 21 years up until 65. So every single year you go to your gynecologist or your GP mm-hmm. for your well month's visit where a pap smear is routinely done and should be routinely done. Mm-hmm. So if it is that, you know, your last pap smear would have been a couple years ago, you're overdue. If it is that <laughs> you're beyond 21 and you have never done a pap smear, then you are definitely overdue. Mm-hmm. A lot of persons, you know, would routinely get their pap smear at their six weeks visit post-delivery. Yes. And I such, you know, I see a lot of patients who come and like, oh, my last pap smear was my last child. Right. How old is your child? Oh, 10 years. no. <laughs> It's every single year, not just at that six-week visit. So what if a young lady is not sexually uh, involved? So um, she's post-21, still a virgin. Is it that critical for her to also get the pap smear done? It is for multiple reasons. One, you can get HPV from just genital contact. So even if you haven't had um, penetrated sex Mm -hmm. and you've had any form of genital contact, then you can get HPV being transmitted. And two, there have been studies that have found that you can get HPV from fomites. So, you know, it's something that is still recommended. And oftentimes patients will come in, you know, for like premarital evaluation and counseling. And you know, they work up and they're like, oh, I've never had sex before. And Mm -hmm. honestly, it really just takes counseling telling them what the facts are and then ultimately they'll make a decision whether or not they will go ahead with the pap smear or they'll wait until they um, are sexually active but the recommendation definitely is for 21 mm-hmm. years and above on the even if it is that you haven't had sexual intercourse on the mm-hmm. basis that you can still get it from um, genital contact and from formats. So there is also the flip side. The flip side is a young lady who has been sexually involved, let's say from a very, very early age, let's say about 10, 11. Um, mm-hmm. Are there recommendations to that in cases like those persons uh, begin their pap smears at an earlier age um, since sexual contact would have been made? So there is a school of thought and you find it, you know, in different literature that you should start your pap smear one year after sexual contact. Mm-hmm. No, the truth is for persons beyond below 21 years, the body usually clears the HPV very, very effectively, mm-hmm. which is why the screening is not recommended for patients beyond below 21. So what we found was that we're being overly aggressive in treatment of patients with HPV below 21 and um, the body would have cleared it. Now, if it is that you're immunocompromised, meaning that you have HIV, um, then patients like those are definitely at higher risk for progression to cervical cancer. So the age factor is not... um, is not held, you know, in patients who are immunocompromised. But outside of that, we'll wait until you're 21. Mm-hmm. All right. Thank you so very much, Doc. Now, we have looked at the, we've looked at what a cervical dysplasia is. You've defined it well. We've looked at the causes and also diagnosis. We have to jump into the risk factors uh, for cervical dysplasia. What are they? 
risk factors right mm-hmm. so as i mentioned hpv is an sti mm-hmm. so if it is that your onset of sexual activity you know is early then you're at increased risk for having hpv and by extension the sequelae of it if it is that you've had multiple sexual partners or if your partners have had multiple partners then you too are at increased risk for getting hpv hmm. if it is that you are immunocompromised so not just um hiv but diabetes or prolonged steroid use then you body really don't fight infections or fight HPV as effectively and as such at increases for getting HPV infections smoking as well you know inhibits how well the body fights against the HPV or you know rejects and break down and destroy the HPV alcohol use have been found to be a risk factor and that's really because when you're intoxicated you don't necessarily make the um, best best decisions Mm. and right and you're likely to have uh, unprotected sexual intercourse or multiple partners, et cetera. So that really is the link with alcohol use and HPV. Right. So those really are the main risk factors for HPV. There's one that jumps out though, Doc. You mentioned, I mean, yes, we understand the multiple sex partners, but then having a partner who has had multiple sex partners. Yeah. And I know, mm-hmm. especially, you know, for some of our, uh, I'm going to put this one on my young people here. Some decisions that we make, whether you're inside the church or outside the church, are not necessarily wise choices. And we we meet individuals that we are head over heels for, but we don't know their backgrounds. And so you are with somebody who has had multiple sex partners and HPV gets to you because of the contact of that individual. I wanted to just stick up in here, Doc, and uh, just speak. to. And it's not, I know it's not only young persons, but I'm speaking specifically to that group, that 14 to, let's say, 35 age group that the incidence is likely for those kinds of decisions to be made. Speak to them about the importance of, of making wise choices in that regard and, and knowing particularly the history of the partners that they will get themselves involved with. Right. So that's a very interesting fact that, you know, the decisions that we would make from young adolescents, you know, being a young adults can have long-term sequelae, which is why it's really very important to be very deliberate about your sexual interaction or your sexual activity. Now, of course, the less partners that you ever have in life decreases your risk of getting a survival cancer, but it's not just on you, it's also on your partner as well. Mm-hmm. Because as I would have mentioned, even if your partner, if it is that your partner has had multiple sexual contacts, then their risk of getting HPV is also very high. And oftentimes there are no symptoms, so you don't even know that you have it, and then you're able to pass it on to somebody else. Now, it's a thing that I do every single time when I'm counseling patients. It's always very, very important to do your STI screens before, you know, new sexual um, partners and to know the history of your spouse or your partner so you know exactly what it is that you are dealing with mm-hmm. and how it is that you can take preventative measures to have long-term complications mm-hmm. for the union. Wow, that, that is such an important and uh, potent 
point, the fact of the matter is once uh, you are considering sexual interaction or sexual intercourse, it is critical to know your partner's history. Yeah, I was just going to say that the funny thing is we don't like to talk about it. Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit uncomfortable for people, I think, to bring up your sexual history and to ask the hard questions. But those are very important if you're talking about any form of relationship, worse, mm. long-term, committed relationship. You really have to ask the hard questions, even if it's uncomfortable, because you need to know. Right. And I know my young people are saying, boy, Auntie Adis, you're hitting us hard with this one. Um, <laughs> nah, this one is not meant to pick on anyone. But I, I know that the incidence of sexual intercourse, especially among um, those within the, the age bracket I've mentioned, it is high. It is not to limit, of course, those who are outside of the bracket. And so this discussion is is quite relevant for each and every person for who, everybody, is, yeah, for who, sure. who is mm -hmm. listening. So I want to remind you, if you're just tuning into this blessed station you've reached ncufm yes broadcasting from studios in mandeville it is ncu 91.1 91.3 and 91.5 only on your fm dial i'm having a discussion with dr nastasia tate she is an OBGYN, and we're focusing on issues of the reproductive system particularly we are focusing on cervical dysplasia which is a precancerous condition in which abnormal cells occur on the surface lining of the cervix or you know the medical minds will say the endocervical canal you know <laughs> so yes. I'll, I'll just say cervix and leave it right there but we've we've, that dealt, works. <laughs> <laughs> we've dealt with so many things we've looked at um, causes we've looked at diagnosis we've looked at risk factors I noticed you mentioned earlier that there are uh, hardly you know symptoms signs and symptoms of um was it HPV of HPV, yes. But are there signs and symptoms of cervical dysplasia? Okay. So, firstly, it can be asymptomatic, which is why it's very important to do your pap smears, right? Because mm -hmm. maybe the only time it's picked up. If it is that you have symptoms, they are varied. So, you can have abnormal bleeding. So mm -hmm. you have bleeding after sexual intercourse, bleeding in between your menstrual cycles, um, prolonged menstrual bleeding. So anything that is abnormal in terms of your bleeding pattern needs to get checked out. Now, I like to highlight that a lot of conditions present with similar um, presentation in terms of bleeding after sex, bleeding in between the menses or heavier menstrual bleeding. So if you're having these things, it doesn't mean that you have cervical cancer. It simply means that you need to get checked out. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. Other symptoms that you may have include pain with sexual activity, or you can have chronic pelvic pain or just low abdominal pain and heaviness um, that you need to get evaluated as well. Mm -hmm. If it is that you have a persistent vaginal discharge, you've gotten treated multiple times it has not resolved uh you know that usually raises an index of suspicion for your physician to evaluate the cells of the cervix those really are the common things that people will present with when you have cervical um dysplasia or precancerous changes to the cervix Mm -hmm. Well, it's just so critical to get that pap smear done because, as you said, you know it could yeah. it could be anything. Um, those those conditions could be likened to other to similar medical conditions, similar right. symptomatic um, medical conditions. So it's critical, ladies, to get your have you got, have you gotten your pap smear done? 
go get it done if you haven't in a while. No, please. Thank you very much. All right. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> now that we're advocating for pap smears, let's switch to um to how we treat uh, cervical dysplasia. We, we'll, let's tie treatment and preventative measures measures into one breath. Okay. So let's start with prevention. So you know the Jamaican saying prevention better than cure? Mm-hmm. For sure, it definitely applies to cervical cancer because it is one of the cancers that are 100% preventable. So we have our HPV vaccines that are advocated for use of both boys and girls, so males and females between the ages of 90 to 45 that you can take. Now, ideally, you want to take your HPV vaccine before you've ever had sexual interaction. So before you've ever been exposed to um, HPV, which is why it's advocated, you know, for patients between nine and 12 years old. No, but beyond that, up to 45, you're still, it's still an option for you. And it's something that I recommend to every single patient that walks into the office. Mm -hmm. So it works similar to the other vaccines that we would have taken as children for the mumps and rubella um, and chicken pox. That is, once it is that you've been vaccinated, you have a significant amount of protection I get in, from getting HPV. Mm-hmm. Now, there are different vaccines that are available. Currently in Jamaica, you have the server RIP that protects you against HPV 16 and 18. So backing up a little bit, there are different strains or subtypes of HPV. And we found some strains that lead to survival cancer and there are some strains that lead to gentle warts. So 16 and 18 accounts for about 70% of cervical cancer. So the cervix give you protection against 16 and 18. The other vaccine that is available is Orgardacil 9, and that gives you coverage against 6 and 11, which causes genital warts, as well as 16, 18, 31, um, 33, 45, and essentially... Uh, seven subtypes that account for a significant portion of survival cancer. Mm-hmm. So you can easily get this usually in your, um, your OBGYN office. You can call and schedule an appointment. Both of them, there are three vaccines that's given over a six-month period and no boosters are currently required. So yeah. that's the first step in prevention. Mm-hmm. The other step in prevention goes back to doing your pap smears. Mm. So if it is that, you know, there are early changes, you can get it treated to prevent progression to cervical cancer. That's, so that's how it's preventative. Mm-hmm. Again, the risk factors we highlighted, if you limit those risk factors, it acts as well as a tool of preventing cervical cancer. Mm-hmm. Now, in terms of treatment, once it is that you have abnormal cells on your cervix, your physician will recommend what we call a colposcopy, which is really a fancy you know, medical term that means that we look at the cervix using magnification lenses Mm -hmm. and we put different medical solutions on the cervix. Now, we know how abnormal cells respond to these solutions and we know how normal cells respond. So if it is that the cells uh, appear abnormal based on the different solutions that you put on it, then we'll either take a biopsy of it for confirmation or we will remove the abnormal cells. So that is how cervical dysplasia is treated. There on after though, you would have to have frequent pap smears every six months for the next two years to ensure that there's no, you know, abnormal cells that's mm-hmm. left behind or anything that you need to go back and remove. 
Wow, I'm I'm learning so much right here on Healthy and Happy. Mm-hmm. Um, so many things coming out of what you just said, though. But let me just backtrack a little bit to the vaccines. Um, you sure. know, this talk about vaccinate, I vaccinate, know, vaccinate. I know. Everybody's um, talking about vaccines. Yeah. Though. <laughs> yeah. Um, how safe is it? I mean, I know you mentioned the likelihood of uh, majority prevention in one case in the in the I don't remember the name of that the first vaccine you listed but in the second vaccine it's a more comprehensive um, it is is more comprehensive but how safe are these things I mean there are some individuals who are very health conscious who say boy you know putting these unhealthy things in into my body yes it will perform the work but what is it doing to me Right. So I know that we're very vaccine conscious, especially in light of the facts with the COVID vaccine and, you know, all the different opinions and all the different thoughts that are being circulated. What I will say is that HPV vaccine does not contain any live virus or parts of the virus in the vaccine. And HPV vaccine have been around for years. Now, the main side effects that people um, have, you know, spoken about or complain of is literally pain and swelling at the site of the injection. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll also say that in countries where you have majority of the population being vaccinated, the incidence or the number of cervical cancer is very, very negligible. Mm-hmm. So we know it works and the side effect profile is relatively low. Okay. Um, what are your final words in relation to this topic as we wrap up, Doc? Prevention better than cure. Cervical cancer is preventable. Don't, you know, miss, don't delay on your yearly pap smears. Have a discussion with your physician about the HPV vaccine and get your vaccine if it is that something that you want to do or after the discussion, you think that it's something that is reasonable for you. So it is preventable. Get your pap smears, get your um, vaccines and try to limit those risk factors. All right, Doc. Thank you very much. I know that you have your practice. Um, Of course, these vaccines are offered there as well. I wanted to just um, share with the people how they can make contact perhaps with your office or or even any other place that you're associated with where they can get treatment or take these preventative measures or even island-wide locations that they could go to. So I'm located at the Winchester Basic Center, Unit 13, and the number for the office is 876-898-7992. You can make a, you know, an appointment there, or you really can just visit your OBGYN and get your pap smear done and have the discussion about the HPV vaccine. Thank you very much, Dr. Nastasia Tate. Again, the number for her office at the Winchester Business Center, 876-898-7992. Did I get it right, Doc? Yes, you got it right. Wonderful. (laughs) That was from memory. <laughs> that, that was for me. Better than me. <laughs> with, with numbers, but the the strange thing is I can't do math, but I I remember numbers quite well. Okay. Yeah, man. Thanks so very much. We appreciate your time, Doc, and listeners. We also appreciate your time too. We do not take your listenership for granted. We look forward every single week to sharing with you. I learn a lot. Like I am just so happy that I am a part of this uh, program. I learn so much week after week, and I I want to implore you. I want to encourage you. Don't let this uh, great knowledge just you know sit down in the space you got it no 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 take it and run with it so for those of you ladies listening in you haven't yet done your pap smear for the year now is the time to schedule your appointment with your doctor and of course get it done prevention is better than cure says dr nastasia
Say thanks again, Doc. We appreciate it. No problem. Bye, Eddie. Bye, bye. Thank you so very much. We want to thank our technical team for their assistance this evening. To our engineer in studio, Brandon Daly. And of course, to the wider communication team of the East Jamaica Conference of Seventh-day Adventists and also the NCU Media Group for this wonderful partnership. May God continue to bless you. We look forward to sharing with you next week. Same time, you may be in a different place as we deal with another issue on the female reproductive system. Keep it locked to NCUFM, I'm Adise Jonas Murphy. God's richest blessings. Everyone is going somewhere With everything they're trying Just to make it To a place where I am not there But when the noise is over small voice you will hear I hope that you believe me when I tell you that I will handle all of your cares just wait on me and be still and know that I am God be still and know that I am God just trust and